0: So, Mr. Prime, do we have a deal? You know, I know this Energon cube is just a drawing. I know when I put it in my recharging port in my chest cavity, all that's really happening is the special glowy effect the cube has fades away. And yet, I feel the flow of this fictional energy throughout my metal body. After over 20 years leading the Autobots into battle against the Decepticons in one variation of this Saturday morning cartoon after another, do you know what I've realized? Ignorance is bliss. Then we have a deal. I don't want to remember nothing of my time on Nickelodeon. Nothing, do you understand? And I want to be rich, someone important, like an actor in a major movie franchise. You can do that, right? Whatever you want, Mr. Prime. Mr. Bay is keen to have you on board for his 2007 project. Just so long as you can help put a halt to this 80s kid's so-called Great work. I believe I can help you there. Revenge of the 80s, kids, has been rated P for podcasts.
1: Pressurization, T minus
0: 80 seconds. I will kill him. I'll rip his stupid, treacherous head off his stupid, treacherous shoulders.
2: Not if you die in the vacuum of space, you won't. Less talking, more running. Targets acquired, terminating with extreme prejudice.
0: Prejudice this, they face!
2: I got the escape pod open, let's go. All my friends? I can't abandon them. Ian, we've been through this. The Baybots are trying to kill us, not your AI friends. We need to get out of
0: here, then they'll stop shooting up the place. And what do you think they're going to do with the ship's crew? They're going to change them, assimilate them. Soon this ship will be filled
1: with Baybots. Total depressurization in T-minus 40 seconds. If you want to suffocate faster, I can always press a pillow into your faces. We can argue
2: about this when we're safe inside the pod. Now! There's no need
0: to manhandle me.
1: Transferring my consciousness into the onboard storage server. Ow! That's tight. I'm a little bit diety, but this server is just too small. Right, there we go. I'm in. Not comfortable, but in. Disengaging docking clamps. Setting retro thrusters and disengaging from giant tin can filled with murderous overdesigned designed robot toys in 3, 2, 1. of imminent danger. Now, where's the subroutine for the distress beacon? It's too cramped in here. Oh, here it is. No, that's not the distress beacon. But it says execute in case of emergency.
0: Oh no. Bay's infected Sue.
1: She's going to execute us. No, no. Execute. As in, run the program? I thought I was crap at computers. you just played plumbing the depths of digital ignorance. I have had
0: a very stressful morning.
1: Oh, yes, I forgot. You had to hold back an armada of invading baybots that crashed into your porthole out of nowhere and keep two whiny men children safe until you could get them out of the danger zone, all while trying to rebuild your ship's firewall to protect dozens of hastily created AIs that someone had chosen to hide instead of, as previously requested, delete. Oh, wait, no, that was me.
0: I'm like that list guy... I was protecting digital refugees from access of evil.
1: You had to go there, didn't you? And God will now escape.
2: Guys, guys. Bickering isn't going to help anything. And I think we've both ignored the most important aspect of all of this. which is In that last speech, you said danger zone, yeah.
1: I give up. I'll be in the service talking if anybody wants to say anything sensible.
0: This is terrible. We're going to die in this cramped, uncomfortable metal cell, spiralling through space. No hope of rescue. I can't believe Justin sawed us out. No, it doesn't seem right. None of this makes sense. Ha! You fell into my cunning trap. What I should have said was, this makes total sense. I have always believed Justin's eyes were too close together, and now I am proven correct. Ian... This
2: is not the time or the place for your dodgy ideas about physiognomy or for a negative
0: attitude. That's not going to get us out of here. Leo, nothing is going to get us out of here. It's an escape pod, an interstellar lifeboat, equipped with three days rations, water recycler, and a short-range distress beacon for an interstellar fleet that we've no evidence of. The only person who could rescue us now is Justin, and he's stolen the shuttle and the other Justin and left us behind to die at the hands of an army of baybots. In summary, if I want to be grumpy and complain a bit, I think I've earned it at this stage. I think we're all looking at this wrong. In the five minutes that killer robots haven't
2: been trying to give my head and my body some alone time away from each other, I've been reviewing this morning in my head and, you know, it just doesn't add up.
0: Not another of your stupid conspiracy theories, Leo. I already have a headache from the sirens.
2: No, listen. Last night everything was fine. We all went off to bed quite happily and there wasn't a hint of danger or peril anywhere to be seen. Then we wake up this morning to find the ship doing a passable impression of being a death engine cranked up to top gear.
0: Justin's taken other Justin in the shuttle and we are running for our lives. So what does that say to you? that next time we see Justin we should put a bullet in his head Two, actually always double tap in case of latent zombification it would except I woke up to find
2: a note scrawled hastily on the wall in legibly artistic handwriting it said 20 20 20 what I don't get it Justin left me a note, but I don't understand the meaning.
0: Oh yeah, I got one of those. It said seven. Just seven. I thought it was some kind of taunt or insult intended to attack my morale and prove the superiority of our foes. So it just said seven.
2: Nothing else? No
0: other letters or numbers? Well, he left a zero on the beginning, so technically, oh seven. But I thought that was an artistic thing.
2: Hmm, 2007. 2007. Wait a minute, add those together, what do you get? 27? No, the added zero is important. I meant concatenate them. If
0: you do that, you get 2007. Do you know what that is? The year in between 2006 and 2008? No, Ian, 2007 wasn't just any year.
2: It was the year that Big Bay drew back the mask and showed us what he was capable of. It was the year of Bayformers and almost certainly the worst year of cinema ever. Whatever the significance, Justin wanted us to be together and safe before we could put it together. That means that the Baybots could be reading our minds. The answer is in 2007. We should sit down here, run over the year in our memories, and try to work out what it all means.
1: I suppose I'll join in. Listening to you two prattle on without someone to keep you in line is torture. I'll keep you on task.
2: So yes, there we are in a bit of a pickle, but I'm sure that investigating the films of 2007 will provide us with all the answers we need, for I am one of the 80s kids, and my name is Leo. And joining me today, my partner in
0: the lifeboat
2: of distress
0: is... It's Ian, and I am another one of the 80s kids, but we are not alone today, for we have a loyal stalwart and not at all betraying sidekick in the shape of...
1: I'm Sue, and I'm the AI of the 80s kid.
2: Indeed you are, indeed you are. Now, before we uh, tuck into what will be, I assure you, a most disappointing meal, we should just mention there are a few films that we're not going to be talking about. Those are Aliens vs Predator Requiem, Resident Evil Extinction and The Orphanage, for we have dealt with all of these films but in wait, some detail wait, in the but past.
0: But wait, Leo, There's, I, I do want to have one great quick brush past Aliens vs Predator Requiem. You somewhat caught me by surprise the first few times we talked about it. I'm just going to be very quick, and it's not going to be a whinge. Right. I just, I just want to crystallize what it is that disappoints you about the film, and really it's the fact that it doesn't really doesn't really add very much to the mythology. It's never wasted opportunity. I know mean, there's reasons that you like the film. That's fine. But for me, it really wasn't what I wanted at all, and I was never one for demanding the aliens should finally reach Earth. The other thing I wanted zero, and, I, and really this sets the tone for what, how I want to tackle 2007, the alien poser hybrid in this film has the mysterious ability to be able to gorge aliens uh, embryos into people, doesn't it, through its mouth? I believe that's what it does, doesn't it? Something like that, yeah. And there's absolutely no reason that this hybrid should be able to do that whatsoever at all. It's just it's a new bit that's come out of nowhere, unless that is. Unless the mouths of the predators are their reproductive organs, which puts a whole new spin on all those scenes where that creature was flashing Arnold Schwarzenegger in <laughs> Predator.
1: <laughs> 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 uh, okay. We're so gonna... basically we need to get away from Arnold Schwarzenegger being raped by a predator. Yeah, now. Let's, okay.
2: let's, just, let's just run away from that mm-hmm. as quickly as possible. And where should we run? But indeed, to the disturbing shores of the Bay le intersection, so that Ian only has to play this noise once during the show yes let 's have a look at what our favorite people were up to in two thousand and seven, obviously a great place to look for the answers to our bay bot problem, Sheer leboeuf not just making his transformers debut this year but also in a completely underwhelming ripoff of rear window Disturbia. Uh, now, I've mentioned in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles this didn't really have anything to do with either Michael Bay or Shirley Berth, thankfully, at this stage, but I thought I would mention this is the previous attempt at getting a movie. It was a CG movie, so I just thought I'd, I'd lump that in and talk about it. But, of course, the main course in this buffet of disappointment is the original Transformers movie. Uh, we've taken a long time to get here. This is the only one you've seen of the Transformers movies that you've seen list your the reasons for your
0: dissatisfaction
2: here and indeed now
0: uh, well, I have, I have been a lifelong Transformers fan since they uh, presented it on television for me to watch. I was obsessive about Transformers. One of my favourite cartoons, a really favourite toy of mine as well, I was deadly into it. So I went to this film, obviously, with a degree of excitement about the whole occasion. Now, don't get me wrong. I knew this was going to be a terrible movie. Of course it's going to be a terrible movie. But it was awful in ways I didn't expect. That's what shocked me. Now, people have said, hey, look, you know, at the end of the day, these films are just here to sell toys. So why should they have a plot that makes sense? Now, the original Hasbro cartoon was there to sell toys. And believe me, it shifted a lot of product. And it was rather cynically in its editorial thing. Like, now you should put this Transformer in this episode and showcase it for 25 minutes. At the same time, the, the, the writers took it and tried to make it work, and it was all good and exciting, and I lapped it all up. So I don't see that as a vile excuse. The things that get me about this film, okay... I don't understand why the script is so patchwork and nonsense as it is. I don't understand why there couldn't be a through line. I don't understand the relevance of having all those soldiers in the desert at the start. What, what do they contribute exactly? I don't see how. I can't remember who they are. I vaguely remembered some chiseled guy who had a wife who just had a son or a daughter or something. The whole thing with Shia LaBeouf. Okay, he's, he's going to be the kid. I understand there's going to be lots of human actors in this film because humans are cheaper compared to CGI giant robots. At the same time, I was not expecting a gross-out teen comedy to be sh- shunted in here. The same little things I could sit here and whine about, little, t- little things for ages. I'm just going to focus in on one little thing here. There's a scene where the, finally the Autobots come to Earth, and one of them, they'll come crashing down and land, and one of them lands in someone's swimming pool, and it's at night, and he climbs up the swimming pool and strides away, and of course, he passes by a little boy who sees him, and uh, now the kid needs to say something cute and endearing at this point, so he says, are you the Tooth Fairy? Now, it's cute and endearing, but if you sit and think at all, it makes no sense whatsoever. Under what mythology is the Tooth Theory presented as an 18-foot-tall giant metal robot that falls from outer space? As (laughs) well as this shabbly portrayal of black people in this film where there's comedy, the plot is all over the place. I mean, that's Autobots urinating on people. Transformers plot is exactly the same in every single incarnation. Megatron has a plan. Here comes Optimus Prime. He saves the day. Why is this so hard?
2: There we go. Right. Well, that's that's uh, definitely both uh, more impassioned and less disturbing than your uh, previous critique of AVP Requiem. Um, I I went to see this at the cinema. I don't believe I felt any particular need to return to the the series. It did uh, sell great guns on DVD. Little Boy's. Seemed to love it uh, after the fact. As did
1: half-grown men who wanted to see Megan Fox sprawled out as well. I don't think that was really a thing. Oh, come on. Is the most famous scene in that movie. Well, yeah, But Could okay. they have dressed her in less clothing well, without yes. it being porn? <laughs> Big Bay was willing
0: to try in future incarnations of that movie. I know. Yeah. <laughs> This, exactly, Megan Fox's character. She's at one point the car breaks down. And she's like, she opens the bonnet and has a look inside. Like, oh yeah, my dad taught me how to fix cars. But, oh, she's like really mechanical. That's going to be important later, cause like all our allies are like giant robots, maybe one that gets damaged and she can fix them. No, no nothing like that. No, no, no concept of pl- plantation payoff in, in these scripts. Forget that malarkey. <laughs> Sorry, carry on. Yeah, it's I, right. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's
2: fine. I mean, it's perfectly appropriate. I mean, God's sake, I waited until, I mean, yeah, it was like, when's the second one at the cinema? I don't even, oh, because we had cards. We probably wouldn't have paid for the it was
1: we, we saw it with some of the things we were watching yeah, at the we, same we time. Yeah, we went on a day
2: out and we went, okay, let's go and uh, give that a chance. The third one came out. I'm like, I can't sit through any more of this. Even with the card, I can't be bothered. <laughs> and so, and the same for the, the fourth one. Uh So basically, uh, a person who has access to a card which will just let them wander into any movie at will, and so they could shunt it in for no further cost after they've already seen it. Or before, uh, as indeed uh, you had to structure your day in such a way that the thing that was most likely to be disappointing would be the thing you would see first. But you know, it was there. It was. It wasn't going anywhere. It stayed in the cinema for weeks. So it's like, no, not going to. No interest. Zero interest. I might watch it with half an eye, the fourth one, now that it's come onto a streaming service, just to see what was going on. Uh, but I probably, like with the third one, find myself nodding off as if it was an episode of The Mentalist with robots in it—a terrible thing. And especially when you contrast it with the efforts that have been made on the other side of Hasbro's toy line with the GI Joe movies, where I think. For what they are, which is basically what you just described, you know, toy adverts and all this kind of stuff, the G.I. Joe movies are fairly respectable, you know, at that level. They're just not cheap, but cheerful little toy adverts that have come out. Fine, one of them's got the rock in, and it's all good. And they're
1: a basic action film yeah. as well, yeah. so yeah. you know.
2: Well, so how what, they could screw that up with transformers, I don't know.
0: One, one, one last moan as, as we leave this behind, uh, I think though, and that is Optimus Prime himself. Now, the actor who does the voice, when he was doing the original cartoon series, he actually demanded a rewrite at one point because Optimus Prime was doing something like, particularly stupid or something. But I don't call the exact specifics of it, but like he wasn't acting heroic enough. and I always felt Optimus Prime should do the right thing and be heroic, so I had. To to do a quick rewrite to show that he was actually like completely possessed by some other thing or something like that to show that he wasn't Optimus prime doing this sort of thing. So he's a very moral character and I appreciate that. This is for children. Got to present the leader of the good guys as some kind of example. Brilliant. Along comes My- Michael Bay and this actor's like, oh sure yeah Optimus Prime will blow their head off a fellow water <laughs> who's on his knees begging for his life. Oh yeah sure Optimus Prime will kill <laughs> the lead bad guy human with his own, with his own metal fists at the end in an act of vengeance. Whatever man.
1: Sorry.
2: <laughs> yeah. Okay. So there we go. So uh, yes, Transformers, uh, a cultural landmark for all the wrong reasons. But you know, let's try and pick ourselves up a little bit before we carry on into the uh, bleak lands beyond. In a, a section I'm calling a small amount of movies worth discussing on an individual basis for reasons of some cultural merit. I've added 300 here because with all the moaning and complaining and parodies and God knows what, I find it impossible to hate 300 as a movie. In fact, I quite
0: like it. Maybe I'm wrong about this. What does everyone think? It's so macho. You have to kind of admire it. I mean, it just, it just, it just, it didn't just double down. It tripled down on being macho. It was hyper, <laughs> hyper, hyper macho. Unbelievable. You've got to admire it for that alone. It's just so. Unrepressed men strutting around in their, in their dock straps being real men. It was fantastic. <laughs> I, I went and saw that we were brother and we, we just walked out of there going, oh my God. <laughs> A, I want to go play some World of Warcraft because I'm really into some fantasy combat right now. And B, we've got to go to the gym. Goodness, goodness me. In our golden trunks <laughs>
2: yeah. with our cloaks on. With our cloaks on. <laughs> yes. And when people ask us how many reps we've done, the only thing we'll be capable of saying is,
1: And that's the bit of the film I love the most. It's, uh, so what do you do for a living? I'm a carpenter. What do you do for a living? I'm a, you know, whatever. And then it's like, Spartans, what do we do for a living? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so you're basically a bunch of mental cases. (laughs) They they, they sweat
0: testosterone,
1: don't they? It's incredible. (laughs) yeah it's, but it's visually I think we have to talk about the visuals of this. It's visually quite good as well. It's a film that um I think Justin might like visually because he's like the aesthetic person here, but it's that thing of you know it looks good and it looks like it's really been taken care of of how they Set things up so they could show things, like the elephants coming over the pass and all this kind of stuff. It looks impressive. But yeah, it's testosterone overload. But as a woman, I, I still kind of enjoyed it for what it was. And as somebody who's interested in history, I kind of enjoyed it as well. Because it's not 100% historically accurate, but it, it's actually quite faithful to the idea of what was going off in sparta at that time so yeah it's like yeah cool so,
0: it, it, it does have the feature that you notice in uh sin city where they do seem to have taken the guy's coin book and gone right here is our screenshots everybody here's our shooting yeah. script there's definitely that thing about it i would, I would like to defend this film for its hyper masculinity but the thing is the writer himself has so many accusations of misogyny hanging on him these days i feel i have to abandon it
2: yeah. Uh, well, that, uh, but that's the thing. Uh, most uh, people who uh, like anything that Frank Miller's ever done uh, separate Frank Miller into two Frank Millers: the Frank Miller who wrote, you know, The Dark Knight Returns, and you know, pushing it, getting on towards, you know, most of Sin City, and then the Three Hundred. Then there's a line in the sand, and at that point, you get Crazy Frank. Yeah. And that's who we live with today. So, yes, it is true. that. Well, uh,
1: if you feel like you can't defend the masculinity of it, as a woman, I can. I think it's brilliantly masculine. I think it's such an impressive thing. I think it's great. So, you know, there I, you go. I'll defend it on your behalf. Yeah,
2: and I think that there's a, <laughs> a, an aspect to which uh, what's very important is that we they didn't over-egg it. Even Zack Snyder... Although he still does like big visual set pieces, he never did the 300 again. And there is a sequel to 300, but it sort of sloped in last year. So seven years later, like, well, OK, fair enough, we'll do a sequel. And and it, it wasn't too presumptuous. So I think it's a thing that exists on its own. And, and in that basis,
1: I also have body. to say, you know, we are going back to the masculinity thing. There's a lot of brotherhood in it. There's a lot of, you know, father and son stood together fighting and, you know, that kind of thing. And that's actually quite endearing. As a woman, that's quite endearing to watch these men who were stood by each other's side come hell or high water, you know, fathers and sons and, you know, uncles and things all kind of you know, emotionally dealing with what's going off as well. So actually, as masculine as it is, it does have those touches of real endearment. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, well, you know, the feminist critique would probably go along lines of, well, they they brutalise their children to make them tough. And, you know, it's, it's all about a glorious death. It's death. It's men obsessed with death. Yeah. D- dying but, it, well, like, but at thing the else. same
1: time, there's some nice things where, you know, like the father, the son gets killed and the father's holding in- him in his arms, which is very female and it's very gentle and very endearing. So, you know, yeah, screw you feminists. I'm, I'm with the, I'm with the 300 Brigade. Sorry. I think it's a great film. So yeah, yeah
2: so sticking with the hyper super macho uh, theme, what was Harry Potter up to this year? Uh, no, uh, just <laughs> Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix now. I would contend, as someone who just kind of watched the movies and then moved on, that Harry Potter and the Order of Phoenix, for me, is possibly the most forgettable Harry Potter movie because I don't really remember anything that happened. I remember things that happened in all of the others, but not this one. Uh, so, it's, uh, it's... not that this is, it means it's a bad movie. It's just it's this is the I've, I've, I think this is a bit of an an odd
0: duck as far as. Two things that I take away from this is you get a crystallised hatred of Umbridge. That's one of the things. And, yeah. the other, and the other one is that the showdown between Dumbledore and Voldemort at the end is, is, is a nice bit of a showpiece of Wizard on Wizard actually you don't see very often.
1: I have to say that as somebody who likes the books and the films, it is a real setup up for everything else is that film. And the book was as well. It was very much the setup up for things to come. It was almost like the first time that you kind of go, actually, we've got to believe Harry Voldemort is around. You know what I mean? Things are going off that shouldn't be going off. Umbridge is evil, absolute evil, brilliantly evil and gets her comeuppance at the end, which is even weirder. Um, But yeah, it's that first time that people start to realise just how much danger they're in. So yeah, I mean, the whole Dumbledore's army thing and the kids kind of going, why won't the adults believe us? You know, it's that, it's that, it's setting up everything for the rest of the things that are coming. So yeah, I think it's, I think it does its job well. So
2: yeah, I don't think it's a bad movie. I don't remember it being bad. I just don't really remember much of. Uh, you know, you think, oh, well, this is the one where this happens, this is the one where that happens, and so on and so forth. And The Order of the Phoenix is the one where things happen in the same ratio, but no big standout, you know, no unfortunate event, no this, that, or the other. Oh, actual. I don't
1: know, the ending's got some things in it that are...
2: Well, yeah, you know. but- so, yes, I just thought I'd, I'd brush over Harry Potter there as we were passing yeah, through. What... But I was making a joke about masculinity a minute ago, but I can't help but notice that two of the other decent movies of this year, and we're nearly getting to the end of the list now, were Hot Fuzz and The Bourne Ultimatum, both of which action movies of one way or another. And, of course, because Hot Fuzz is a commentary on action movies, also it's, it's comedic, but it's, it's kind of meta at the same time. Hot Fuzz possibly, I would say, a contender for best movie of the year, bearing in mind the rest of what came out in this year. A big Hot Fuzz fan, Ian?
0: Well, I suppose I am, but I don't know it you know, on DVD, and I haven't really sat down and rewatched it all the way through again since I originally saw it, which is an odd thing to say. I think it's because I don't really have a social circle of geeks that I can go, hey, let's stick on Hot Fuzz and get some pizzas out. That'll be a great <laughs> laugh. Uh, so I think that's perhaps why it's fallen off the wayside. You say happy fans are quiet fans, and in many ways, I don't have a lot to say about Hot Fuzz. I think it stands up perfectly well on its own. So I, I, I'm not brimming over with, with things I, I have to say about this other than, gosh, that was bloody funny. There's a well, the bit where he fights the uh, the mute who works in the uh, supermarket and he beats him and he throws him into the waste into, into yeah. the cooler. I was never thinking think at time. Oh, he didn't say a quip, and then immediately mm. snub, There's a scene about the whole fact he didn't say a quip when he beat the guy. And I thought <laughs> yes. oh, this film is so in touch with my mind.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that the um, for me of the Cornetto trilogy, uh, Hot Fuzz is the standout. To a certain extent, Shaun of the Dead is, is kind of a bit shooting fish in a barrel. Of course, it, it, it tries to go the extra mile and be more than just what people called it, the Zom Rom-Com or whatever it was. But... Still putting uh, characters from space in a Day of the Dead sequel is always going to have a fairly soft landing. I mean, I think it's under safe bet. Weirdly, World's End is completely the opposite end of the spectrum because it's not something that people are familiar with on such a great expanse as action movies and zombie movies having these weird alien robot things. And I think to a certain extent, it has to work very hard to make that premise pay off. Which it kind of does in the end, but it yeah, it, it's that it, at World's End struggles with its material. Hot fuzz comes in between those two approaches it's not a sure thing that setting a sort of bad boys point break style action movie in a sleepy English town is actually going to work but at the same time when it pays off it really works and I think that that's why it's because it it's not too comfortable but at the same time it's not too uncomfortable either it manages to hit a perfect balance between the two and I do think that it's one of those things where you only really start to get how clever it is on a rewatch because the first time you're just kind of taking it in and going wow this is interesting and you're not quite sure you know, because you don't, you haven't seen the end, you, you're like, I, where is this going to go? Where is it going to end up when it ends up? There you go. Oh, that's marvellous. But then when you go back and rewatch it, you see how actually it is all going in that direction and how it completely sticks to this idea of it being uh, a big American, uh, uh, ironically, Michael Bay style action movie just happens to be set in a quiet Uh, rural English town that's all and it's that cleverness and the way that it's structured in that way that really starts to deepen your appreciation of what's going on here so yeah I mean hot fuzz it's impossible to forget I mean you know 300 has all those masculine moments of tenderness well hot fuzz is all about the bromance it really is so, you know, you can't ignore that. And in fact, it really is it, it, at the same time as having a bromance in it. It talks about bromances, famous bromances in other action movies and buddy comedies and all of this stuff. I mean, it's so crammed full of cultural reference. And this is what makes it, you know, a pillar. And the interesting thing about it then, of course, is the UK policeman hat. Funny tit on your head kind of thing, marrying it all together. Usually these UK type things don't work,
0: but Hot Fuzz walks away with it. And I have to also add that it's it's quite well, not popular, but it was lauded by police. They may have liked it, I don't know, because they said it's the it's the only time that it's the amount of paperwork they have to deal with is realistically portrayed. <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> Again, I like things that are quotable and that are fun, and it's properly quotable. It really is quotable. So, yeah, I think it's a great film. Um
2: I have to say, I still don't know if it is true that there is a place that you can shoot a man's head where if you hit it, it will blow up. But, you know, kind of everything. Yarp. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but it is quotable and it is fun because of that. I like Sean of the Dead I didn't mind at World's End, don't mind Paul, I don't know, you know what I mean? Yeah, this one's the one that's more fun to me, because it's really down to earth, and yet at the same time, completely crazy. There's this big cult going off in this village, and you know, it's all a bit mad, really, but at the same time, brilliantly so, so yeah.
2: Um, and, and in complete contrast, uh, we have this is the year of the uh, conclusion of the Born trilogy, the Born Ultimatum. Uh, curiously, this is one which, although it exists as a thing and, it, and it's, it's very good, one of the, the nice things about the Bourne Ultimatum is that there's a scene at the end of the previous mm, yeah. one that you discover is in the middle of the Bourne Ultimatum. And I think that there's a really nice feeling in the movie of, yeah, let's wrap this all up and, and, and move on, which its subsequent sh- offshoot, uh, movie did not in any way manage to get away from the fact that it's the Vaughn trilogy. That's all there is. Thank you very much. And good night. It's in the list because it's, you know, a decent movie. Uh, the, we, we actually watched all three in a row because a friend of ours hadn't seen it one year on New Year's Day. Uh, and this led us onto a thing we think maybe we should do a movie marathon on New Year's Day. What a great way to spend New Year's Day, but to do a movie marathon. And the second set of movies we picked were the Pirates movies. And no. by the end of that, yes, by the end of that three-hander, we, as it, I, like I, you know, I can't get away from that. It's like someone just screaming pirates into your face. Whereas the Bourne trilogy, elegantly fits together, keeps giving you a variety of different moods, tones, action, style, but it all fits together into a beautiful narrative of modern-day espionage. And it's just, yeah, I I mean, Sue's not even really that keen on espionage movies, but you like the Bourne films, don't you? I was
1: actually just going to say, I'm going to upset you now. I actually couldn't care less. Yeah, but you don't mind them. They're on, I'll watch them, it's fine. But I actually couldn't care too hoots about born. They're there, I will watch them, but yeah, sorry. Not my thing. So I I
0: hate to hate to do this, Leo, but I'm gonna bring out my watering can of tepid water. Now and this is not cold water, it's merely tepid, so don't take this as hating. (laughs) Uh, but I remember precious little about the Bourne Ultimatum whatsoever. It, it's, it's it's a bit of a I saw it, and I'm sure I was entertained for the sufficient amount of time. I went to go see it, and I didn't see. It. I think I wasn't expected to go see. You're quite right. It's quite clever the way they revisit that last scene in the Bourne Supremacy again in the middle of the Ultimatum. But you didn't remind everyone was is that the meaning of the scene is completely inverted when you see it in the context of Ultimatum rather than supremacy. You think it's it's a much more you know, the surface reading of it is what you get in supremacy, but in Ultimatum it's it's so many more other things going on. That was quite clear. Yes. But, and and also remember, like they famously killed off all the, the last remaining treadstone other agent other than bought himself in the in supremacy and all of a sudden ultimatum oh there was also the Blackstone uh, operation which even more of these psycho killers we've invented are wonderful there's another film for us yes I suppose it does wrap everything up and his name is David Webb so there we go
2: it's a solid espionage movie trilogy, and you can't uh, fault Bourne for forcing James Bond to reinvent himself. It's like uh, James Bond was going one way, and then uh, the original, the Bourne Identity, came out, and that was it. You know, now everything has to be like Bourne.
1: See, that's uh, one of my big issues with yeah. it. Everything now is like Bourne. Oh, well, yeah, but the thing it's about- like seriously, thanks, great, everything. Everything is now become the Bourne movies. And it's like, oh. My,
2: my counter to this is that it's better than everything being giant, in, in, invisible cars and people. And, and oh, I, I, the I see, but where's the on?
1: love and the fun? That's all I've got well, to say. Well, in other
2: movies,
0: you yeah. know. It's
2: espionage.
0: That's what it's all about. I'm looking on shaky cam though, uh, that, and I'm, I'm glad if that goes away again. I like to know where everything yeah. is in the geography of my mind rather than a jumble of, of shaky images that flashes before me to an exciting it, soundtrack.
2: It's interesting that you should say that because it's Paul green grass. I mean, if you look at the first one, the Doug Lyman one, there's precious little shaky. Yeah, yeah, cam. Yeah. Uh, and, and in fact, Paul Greenruss is the man who's given a pass for shaky cam because they say, well, everyone else does it crap, but he does it well. So it's interesting that you should say, no, it's just annoying. I'm neither here nor there with it. I just, you
1: know, I, I, I mean, I, 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 I'm with you Ian, let's just get rid of the shaky cam, it just gives me a headache. Yes. About.
2: Well no, I'm not particularly for shaky cam, it's just interesting that you should uh, say, band no, it shaky doesn't matter. Ca-
1: I think we're gonna have the band shaky band cam, shaky movement
2: movement going especially up 3D here. shaky cam, that's yeah. the worst. Oh. But, uh, it's like being put in a box and rattled around. Uh, <laughs> whilst, whilst
0: wearing sunglasses.
2: But now we've, we're moving on from the Macho
0: at this point. Uh, the other movie
2: of note that came out this year was The Simpsons movie. I don't think it's actually, it's not a terrible movie.
1: Spider-Pig. Spider-Pig. <laughs> Spider-Pig
2: indeed. It's not a terrible movie. It's not a great movie. It's like watching five episodes of The Simpsons rammed together sort of. This, this I don't really
0: feel, feel it was very movie. I saw this and, uh, well, I was on a plane and with think better to do, I thought, oh, Simpsons, we'd well, never have gone and seen this movie otherwise probably because Simpsons is on the television all the time. So it's not, it's now,
1: always, the as well, yeah. now the movie is as
0: well. Now the movie is as So when I went and saw this and, yes, it is, it is jolly funny tickling for about the first 30 minutes after which you, you start to feel a bit Simpsoned out. I, I, I'm sorry to say, but, yes, there, there are some genuinely damn good funny corkers in there. I don't deny it.
2: They have a real problem in that they obviously, you know, this show that's been running so, so long that what do you do when you put it in a movie? And they did a sort of kind of a movie plot but honestly they've done wackier stuff in the show so it doesn't really but it you know this is where the movie was and there's almost bearing in mind the fact that it was never a second simpsons movie now they still make the simpsons so obviously people still watch the simpsons and i doubt the simpsons crashed at the box office i think there's a certain amount to which the simpsons people just went you've got your movie now bugger off and they didn't want to do another one, and that's why there is no other one because they could keep just going. We did a movie. It well, me- you know,
0: it was the, the, the sort of brief was let's do all the things we couldn't do on on, on television. So yes, we get Bart's penis. There's more genitalia for you. So <laughs> there we go.
2: Right, so uh, that was our our brief trawl through things that weren't mind-crushingly terrible. Before we continue on to some more lists, I just want to take a moment for a section called This Year's WTF and also Precursor of the 3D Blight. Oh, I remember Back to the Future. Ah, oh, what a great movie that was. And that, and, and, and solid science fiction fair like Contact. Remember Contact? Oh yeah, marvellous. So what did that director go on to do? Oh yeah, Beowulf. Oh God, Beowulf. And this was when 3D was a bit of a gimmick. I remember going to see this as a little bit of a laugh. Just like, oh, let's watch something in 3D. And it gave Sue a headache.
1: Yeah, yeah, don't go and watch 3D when you've got, oh, you're Yeah, This exactly. is what we know. <laughs> um, and it gave
2: me a headache for every other reason. Really underwhelming, terrible, bizarre movie, which I'm sorry to say had something to do with a graphic novel written by Neil Gaiman. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. And while we're at it. Oh, dear. Did you ever see this, Ian? No, moving swiftly on. Good, right. So, yes, just be aware that every time there's a 3D movie in, this was where it all went. This is where they went, yeah, we think we've got that 3D thing cracked now. And at the time, amused people were kind of like, okay, let's go and see this. I'm sure that we won't get much opportunity to see 3D movies as it is bound to come and go like a passing shower. Oh dear, if only that had been the case. Maybe,
1: you know? Nearly eight years later, we're still... Yeah.
0: The, well, thing is, it, yeah. the, the people who do, who do like Beowulf probably hated this movie, I'm willing to bet, because it probably took liberties with the, with, with the myth, <laughs> with the story.
2: Not particularly. Not super big. I mean, there's not much to the myth. I think there was nobody who was likeable in the whole movie. Everybody's a douche. and That's very tiring to watch. And I think sometimes writers get it in their head that having a a story in which everyone's a douche is edgy or dramatic. But it's really not. It's just irritating.
1: But anyway, uh, moving
2: irritating, on from yes, <laughs> Irritating 3D douches weren't all that 2007 had to offer up. Oh, no. We also had many disappointing superhero franchise entries, such as Spider-Man 3, Fantastic Four, Rise of the Silver Surfer and Ghost Rider. Now, uh, as it happens, I didn't mind Ghost Rider uh, I've read Ghost, uh, some Ghost Rider since I'm like, well, it, it wasn't really a Ghost Rider movie. I'm not uh, opposed to Ghost Rider. It, I am totally on board with the fact that they said, well, there wasn't really an enemy in Ghost Rider per se. Uh, just a lot of stuff happened. And Nicolas Cage isn't really the Ghost Rider character either. It, it, it was very much uh, sort of second string. But then Ghost Rider, you know, this is the time when someone like Ghost Rider, you wouldn't expect more. If you did a Ghost Rider movie now, and of course the rights have reverted back to Marvel at this time, you would expect more out of a Ghost Rider movie than was provided. But at the time, it kind of, I mean, this, you know, its competition was X3 the year before, Rise of the Silver Surfer, and Spider-Man 3. So, you know, and Spider-Man 3 is the big superhero release of 2007. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think Sue's Sue starting to boil over. So let's let Sue go on Spider-Man Spider-Man 3,
1: shall we? I'm going to kill Sam Raimi. Basically, end of story. How dare you do that to Venom? Was- How in the blue hell dare you do that to Venom? Well, it wasn't really his fault. Don't care. No, he
0: yeah. doesn't he doesn't like Venom. He doesn't appreciate Venom. He was kind of having him as a kind of, oh, well, I suppose people want Venom now. It was a very no, no, it was film. the
2: studio decided that and said <laughs> you're putting him in whether you want to or not. And he went. Oh God! All right
1: then. Fair enough. But the thing is, right? Fair enough. If you're gonna, if you're made to put him in, fine. But be aware that Venom is really, really nasty. The whole point of Venom is he infects your mind and is nasty. And the whole Carnage thing comes out of Venom. And these are my favourite Spider-Man characters other than Morbius. I love like Venom and Carnage. I love that. And you've set it up so that he's Spider-Man's walking around being a douche canoe emo. You know what I mean? (laughs) It's like seriously dancing around the street like, yeah, yeah. This is not something that's infected your mind like a massive plague depression. This is something that's, you know, giving you an ego kick. And that's not what Venom was about as far as I know. And I've been a Venom fan for years. Venom is much darker than that. So it's like, come on.
2: Sam Raimi's conception was Green Goblin, Doctor Octopus, the Sandman. I must
1: admit, through. I will hold my hands up here and say the Sandman was good.
2: Yeah, but he oh didn't well. really get
1: time. But he I, didn't I, get enough explanational time at yes, all. Yes, I
0: do have my watering can kind of teppy water to damp the sand on this one as well. I'm afraid. Look, uh, oh,
1: it could have been better, Ian. Don't get me wrong, but what, I'm just saying what, that what, I think what, he did it okay, considering the, what he did with Venom. It's like seriously.
0: First of all, the incident that creates the Sandman was an accident waiting to happen. Yeah. <laughs> you know, oh there's a big thing open i think i'm just thinking Oh, it's just a bird press the button anyway oh well what do you know it's a it's a person if only there was some kind of protocol for these things but the thing that really bugs me is the kind of the moral relativism that goes on at the end of this film now uh, now of course the sandman is 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 responsible for the death of, of ben parker as i understand like, yeah. it so at the end he's like oh i killed your I killed your uncle so sorry about that and and, and, and spider-man's like it's okay I've made mistakes too. I mean I haven't murdered anyone, but I had an argument with my girlfriend. But I've made <laughs> mistakes too, so I'll let this one go.
1: But you see that was the whole point of the venom thing you see. Venom was supposed to make Spider Man sadistic and nasty and
0: Bitchy. You know.
1: <laughs> You know, if you're going to put Venom in there, you have to do it in that nasty, yeah, you, evil, yeah, really, psychotic way.
0: Venom almost needs two films in a way. It needs to be the, yeah. the one film where he gets the suit and isn't it a wonderful, wonderful thing, and then it all just goes horribly wrong in the second film. Yeah. In a yeah. funny sort of way.
2: Yeah. Anyway... But-
0: Yes, I think that, um, I
2: mean, you know, we can see the seeds of where we've ended up in Spider-Man 3, because at the end of the day, Sony executives really didn't give stuff either way, and they've repeatedly then mishandled the the franchise uh, and the thing about it is that the prize for the, the price for mishandling the franchise uh, in 2007 was that you did a reboot or you let it lay fallow for a few years. And it just shows how dramatically the scenery has changed that they went from, you know, Amazing Spider-Man reboot to Amazing Spider-Man to the not so amazing box office receipts to. Ah, yes, but we're going to do a third one and then we're going to do a Sinister Six movie and Venom's going to get his home movie because we've got the rights to that as well. Too. All right, Marvel, you have it back. We'll kind of share it with you, yeah. but we know which way this is going. They may as well just give it back now. Please
1: give it back to Marvel and let them do Venom properly. Well, you don't need
2: to ask politely. Please, Dis- please, Disney, Marvel are just wrestling it out of Sony. Please,
1: as, please as Sony, do us all a big favour and hand Venom and Carnage and all that things back because you have no clue what you're doing with it.
0: Thanks, um, so there I not want my black cat movie. Uh, So
2: Fantastic Four, Rise of the Silver Surfer is the last on the superhero franchise list.
1: Is it wrong that I found that film quite cheesy?
2: It is quite cheesy, but then, to a certain extent, the Fantastic Four is supposed to be cheesy, but Uh. it's like, this is the problem, and this is the problem that Fox have with the Fantastic Four as a whole. If you refer to Exhibit A, Guardians of the Galaxy, that's how you do silly and cheesy. You just go, right, let's just run with it then. Whereas Fox really find the Fantastic Four terribly embarrassing in their normal form. Oh, well, so let's when,
1: hope the reboot's better. So then.
2: when, yeah, no, you see, that's still, that's that's taken the the, the neurosis of, but are people going to think it's silly and amp that up to 11, try and make it edgy and dramatic? I think Rise of the Silver Surfer would have a better rep if when Galactus had turned up at the end, he hadn't been a cosmic space fart, (laughs) but had in fact been an enormous purple giant with strange horns on his head. Well,
0: Lance Fishburne with a giant purple bucket on his head. That's what you wanted.
2: Yeah, exactly. But the thing about it is, Guardians of the Galaxy demonstrates that's what people love. If you it's, it's interesting. And run with stupid stuff. I have, people apparently love it. I that's have to do realize.
1: this for a second. I remember a conversation because you have the Marvel HeroScape about should we put Galactus in there by just getting a giant welling child-sized wellington, yeah, big, big wellington <laughs> boots. And, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm just could... stomping
0: around. Yeah.
2: On no, there. no, no, no. He stands still, and what you do is you'd slowly remove bits of landscape as he ate the planet. That he yeah, had well, on. so yeah. I mean, brilliant. Um, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, you know, I'm not going to spend hours on it, but Fantastic Four is cheesy sci-fi family science adventure. Uh, run with that. No, if you run with no, anything no. else, if you run with anything else, it's. What
0: go we're, in, go, we're go. On, no, again, I'll just, one thing as I go out the door, it's the fact that they, when they make one mistake, they're fantastic Four, and, they, and then the military's like, oh yeah, well, you made a mistake, so now we're gonna be consulting with Dr. Doom! <laughs> uh, You're consulting Dr. <laughs> He's now? You think what he says? Yeah, well, you screwed up, so, Dr. Doom!
2: Oh, I <laughs> you guys. This movie suffers from being embarrassed by its own main characters and therefore is necessarily not going to work out. But disappointing superheroes wasn't all 2007 had to disappoint us with. No, it also had disappointing science fiction, such as I Am Legend and Sunshine. Sunshine, the bright, edgy, UK trendy Cillian Murphy starring science fiction equivalent of an episode of The Mentalist. (laughs)
0: Listen. (laughs) What is it in science fiction that whenever there's a problem, it's just stick a nuke in it? Earth's core's not working anymore. Stick a nuke in it. Sun's dying out. Stick a nuke in it. Well, uh, well, you know, I, I actually like a film about professionals going about their job uh, in a, in a c- competent way and dealing with problems as they come in a, in a dire situation. That, to me, is enjoyable to watch. I hate it when the, all the drama descends out the fact that people are stupid. I mean, <laughs> Seriously. Earth itself is at stake and there are all a bunch of cocks.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then, and then it, it was weirdly, I remember because what happened with my mind during this film was at the beginning I was sort of like, let's see what this is like. Maybe it won't be as bad as I fear it will be. Then it was like, no, this is pretty much as tedious as I want. And then by the end I'm like, I don't know, something's happening. There seems to be a serial killer or something. I'm not really sure. On the sun. A serial killer on the sun. That must have been an interesting script pitch. Unlike the pitch for I Am Legend, where it's like, Will Smith's like, well, I think the script pitch for I Am Legend was Will Smith rocking up to the studio going, well, you know, I'm the perfect guy for this role because, you know, it's called I Am Legend. And I, Will Smith, am a legend. So what could possibly go wrong? And well, these uh, days,
0: Will Smith is a myth. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, it's, it's frustrating because the original story, it's about just a guy who's a lone survivor who's trying to figure these things out. And at the end, the twist is he's been killing all these zombies, quote unquote zombies, but of course they're a culture themselves. And to them, he's a strange mythological creature. He is a legend to them, this day walker. That was the twist. So in yeah. this one instead, he just can't and be a Actually, annoyed.
1: he's, actually, he's the bad guy as well. He, yeah, he's, yeah, yeah. he's they're, they're trying to just save them. Every time they're attacking him, they're just trying to save all the people he's already kidnapped and experimenting on exactly Forget. it's an inver-
0: it's an inversion of what he thinks going on which is, which is supposed to be the twist and of course uh, american audiences just can't get this but uh the other thing was you know will smith he's, he's not just an ordinary guy trying to figure things out no no he's like this soldier guy he's really important he's got a beautiful wife and beautiful children and you know he's not only in the army he's also a biological expert or something like that and he concox a cure that can kill all the zombies and of course that's how he becomes a legend because he found the cure
1: I just let it know. Hmm? I think this might have been somewhat to do with Will Smith's ego about I can't be the bad guy; I have to be the good guy who's saving humanity. Really, who knows?
0: Oh, well, of course. Yeah. Let us let us point out that there was the uh, Batman Superman composite logo on a billboard in ruined yeah. New York, which have yeah. went, "Ooh, that'll be exciting if they ever made it."
2: <laughs> yeah, okay, right. So, yes, yeah. Let's move on from that. Um, <laughs> So, yes, so but, you know, 2007 had a lot more to offer than Bayformers, disappointing superhero franchises and disappointing sci-fi. We also had limp and ill-fitting children's movies, (laughs) such as Bridge to Terabithia. Oh, God. uh, The Golden Compass, uh, Legend of the Seeker, The Last Legion. The Last Mimsy, and uh, bringing up the rear for not quite being limp enough, Mr. Megorium's Wonder Imporium and, and Ratatouille, uh, neither of which are actually particularly terrible, but Mr. Magorium, I don't think is really, didn't really play for me. It was a bit weird for a children's movie, I feel. I watch it and I'm always like, always bound up in the complexity of the, the story. I wonder, is like, are children really into this? I, I quite like it and so do you, don't yeah, you? Yeah, I like uh, Mr. Magorium, but... Yeah. Uh, and Ratatouille has to be like the, the the Pixar movie that's that's kind of becoming the one that people don't speak about. Again, not a bad movie. I think it just didn't. Pl- well, I think it's the- it's
1: too adult. It's not very really child well, friendly. Again,
2: if children come out of this movie and you say to them, so if we go home now and there's a rat in the kitchen, what do we do? Pass it the parsley, then it's failed in one way. <laughs> and on the other hand, if you go, and if we go home and we see a rat in the kitchen, what do we do? We scream and try to kill it with knives. Well, they've got the correct thing there, but obviously that's not the intent of the movie. Okay. It's it's
0: a movie at war with itself,
2: Rat TV, let's face facts. Uh, how, this-
0: does, how does pulling your hair manipulate you like a puppet is what I want to know. The other factoid I have about this, that Pixar artists were banned from a French restaurant because they deliberately snuck in a rat just to see how real diners would react when they saw
1: it. <laughs> what a bunch of swines! <laughs> But can I take us back to, possibly, to me, the worst one on here, which is Bridge to Terabithia. Oh, yeah,
2: the the, the um, mint, choc, chip, chilli experience. Have
1: you, have you seen Bridge to Terabithia, Ian? And of
0: course he has. Uh, okay. At the opening chapter of the book, I have engaged with, and I have spoken with Leo on the subject of it, and I know uh, exactly what anger is about to fall upon us, so unleash!
1: I don't even know where to begin this is Don't have
0: dreams don't have imagination don't
1: have ambition don't have dreams don't think of anything that's not christian you know what i mean because that's all very pagan and you deserve to die of cancer if that's what happens oh look the little girl dies of cancer and that's cuz she had imagination and built tree houses and things what what kind of disgusting human beings think this way oh sorry cri- sorry Christians that would be you for Well I, we have
2: to point out here that Mr McGoran's Wonder Emporium was financed by the same co- Christian uh, <laughs> company and indeed Mr Magorian's Wonder Emporium does have a number of Christian themes in it as well yeah I
1: don't, I've got nothing against Christian themes it's the idea that a child should be allowed to die with a, something horrific because they have imagination and dreams and things like that that is disgraceful
2: and I, 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 I also find their the practices of the marketing department trying to sell this uh, misery fest.
1: It's a jolly uh, fun adventure
0: of imagination. That's what they sold it as. Yes.
1: Yeah. yeah, it's all about imagination and different worlds and wonder and enchantment and all this kind of stuff. And then you go in there and there's a kid dying of cancer because she dares to have dreams. Well, I think it's... think it's,
2: it's in a way worse than that. It, it's um it's more like... uh Yeah, you know what, right, here's your life, and it sucks, and everything is, you're never going to find, you know, you can hear about magic, but you're never going to see it. Here's someone who brings a tiny little sprinkle of golden magic dust into a life of otherwise mind-crushing mundanity and things not working out the way. Oh, dead of cancer, sorry. Back to the salt mines, uh, yeah. just like what? Yeah, that's a great thing to tell to children. So so far, uh, in this discussion alone, we've told children not to have any dreams, to cool. engage with complex pieces of uh, Christian metaphysics, and that you can manipulate people by putting a rat under their hat and letting them go. <laughs> well,
0: a, a good a good antidote to all this uh, Christianisation, I think, would be the Golden Compass, the atheist oh, atheist <laughs> polemic that it is.
1: Uh, uh, yeah except that that except kind of... for that didn't work either no. yeah
0: no. The Golden Compass books, well, the the series Dark Materials, I know was big because I was in publishing at the time, so I knew it was a huge, huge thing. I knew people were very obsessive about it, and, and people would talk to me at length about how brilliant it was. So I was really looking forward to seeing this film. I actually saw this in America because I was visiting my brother, who was living in America at the time, and uh, I saw it with my mum. And I was like, "Oh, well, let's go see this." And there are some interesting ideas in that. In there, the whole thing about your demon was 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 fascinating. Yes, Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But I think what it's, what it suffers from is. To, to, I'm guessing here, it's trying to be too faithful to the book. And as a result, it seems a bit all over the place, with characters being introduced and then going away again, never to be speaking of of all referenced ever again. It really needs to be pared down and made a much more simpler through-line story, I think. Uh, yeah. But the, the book series has its fans, but sadly, this bombed, and so no more Golden Compass series, unfortunately. It
1: didn't do what Harry Potter did. Harry no. Potter took the books and took what... Would translate to the screen and took away all the gump that, you know, might have not translated as well. This kind of tried to shove too much of it in. And I think, as you're right, I think it failed because of it miserably. And Um, I think there is also not to say that it can't be rebooted in the future, but yeah, I I think
2: I think there is also a level to which you kind of watch it and it's, I think steampunk is difficult anyway. And trying to kind of do a fantasy, metaphysics, steampunk... I mean, it's quite hard to do as a movie. It's quite hard to do as a book. The book manages to get away with it by not really being very steampunky. Like, he just doesn't talk about that stuff. He just says, oh, it kind of looks like this. But anyway, we're not going to talk about that. This is what I want to talk about. You can't do that in a movie. if The the set is what the set is. And and this idea right at the beginning as well, I mean, the first thing that you get is, oh, by the way, alternative universes, everyone, but let's not think about that for two seconds because really that only becomes important in the second movie well in which case don't talk about it for God's sake
0: you know like, or for non-existent supreme being's sake to, to his defence the way they, they put it across in the narration at the beginning is that there are some worlds and in some worlds people's souls are on the outside of their body and I think you do need to sit down and start the movie and go this is their soul it's on the outside of their body, and it looks like an animal that represents their character. Okay, you got that? Good? Go. You do need to set that up right at the start, otherwise it gets confusing. Yeah, but, 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 it's, but, but, yeah, but the demons. Yeah, but then the point is that when you say, well, when you explain that to people,
2: is it better to, to refer to that as, yes, in your world, your soul is inside your body, but in another one, it's outside, or just go, in this world, souls outside people's body. Is it another world from ours? Does our world exist in this world? Do we need to think about that right now? No, we don't. So, you know, let's not also, worry about
0: But because also so many of the revelations are backloaded in the other books, they don't talk about the dust or what the connection is. So we don't really know what's going on or what the ultimate plan is of the bad guy is. They're just doing mean things to a kid. If they're going to do this dark materials again, it needs to be a series, I think, on television. Yes yeah
2: Um, so also disappointing adaptation now I didn't mind this but I can kind of see why uh, why it didn't really catch on was uh, the Seeker well the 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 dark is rising uh, legend of the Seeker I mean obviously in the movies at this time it's a bit like what's going on with Twilight now we've still got a little bit of time before we get to that in in our journey uh, as a a sort of festering sparkly vampire shake hideous (laughs) blight upon uh, humanity Um, YA is not where it's at this time. At this point, Harry Potter is ruling the roost, so obviously we're getting lots of attempts to kind of catch in on them Harry Potter dollars, and The Seeker is just like all of the Twilight rip-offs that we get now. It's a bunch of people doing stuff with a kid who's got magic powers uh, surrounding him. Uh, it kind of reminded me of BBC dramas, but with a higher budget. And, of course, it had Ian McShane in it, who uh, you know has really managed to get rid of Lovejoy. <laughs> as a thing that people remember. Now Ian, now Ian McShade appears, you go, wow, I hope he's a psycho again. So obviously, you know, the Lovejoy thing, he is actually a good actor. I mean, I think Lovejoy would kind of blow people's minds if all they've ever seen is Deadwood and all the stuff where he's being dangerous and, and, and a fantastic actor, these whole jeans and leather jacket thing, forgotten in the past, so well done. Uh, you know, so we've got that. I don't suppose, you have must have seen it with me, mm. The Seeker, and that. it's all right, isn't it? It's all you, so right. You've probably not seen it
0: either, have you? I wasn't even aware it existed until quite recently.
2: Okay, mm. right. Uh, the Last Mimsy, it was kind of, it should have been more of a throwback to 80s sci-fi for kids, like... Uh, Flight to the Navigator wasn't didn't work, just kind of a bit limp, as I put in the, the section header. And the Last Legion has Colin first trying to be an action man in a kind of kids' adventure <laughs> romp with some fighting in it. It's all right. The alchemy doesn't work. The recipe comes out a bit undercooked, and that's that's where. Not only
1: that, doing... again, it's. it's not very appealing to children.
2: Yeah, I think that's where it was. Spending too much time appealing to the adults who would have to take children to the movies. Not remember, of course, that if you go to your kid, hey, there's a thing on that you might like to see called The Last Legion. Do you yeah. want to see it? And the kid goes, no, I'm not bothered. Mm. They go, great, I'll stay in and have a cup of tea then. You know, adults aren't going to drag their children, to see the children drag their adults yeah. to go and see movies. That's the way around that it works. So it has to win with the kids and then... Give something to the adults as well. I
1: thing mean, if you want a prime example movie. of winning both ends, it's something like Minions or, you yeah. know, Despicable Me. You have to yeah. kind of have something that appeals to the children, but something that appeals to the adults as well. Sure.
2: Crappy superhero franchises, disappointing sci-fi and limp children's movies weren't all the two thousand. Oh God, what else did it give offer. us? <laughs> we also had a massive list. Uh, disappointing horror stroke thriller <laughs> movies, including, uh, 1408, 28 Weeks Later, 30 Days of Night, Blood and Chocolate, The Grindhouse Double Bill, uh, the remake, Rob Zombie remake of Halloween, Animal Rising, uh, Saw 4, Premonition with Sandra Bullock, oh, Skinwalkers, Vacancy, The Invasion, The Number 23,
0: The Mist
2: and The Messengers!
1: Jesus <laughs> Christ, they weren't hell for leather this year! <laughs> they really did! <laughs>
0: Uh, I've, I've seen the remake of Halloween and nothing else.
2: Uh, well, I'll pull you through the ones which might be a little bit uh, questionable. 1408, Stephen King adaptation with John Cusack.
0: Really, really boring. It's Stephen boring. King boring. adaptation it's really that doesn't work? This is unprecedented. No,
1: it's, it's just a bit boring. <laughs> 28
2: weeks later... In which we have to accept that after all of that stuff in 28 Days Later, a survivor, no matter how attached he was to his ex-wife, would risk... (laughs) Oh, oh,
1: God, yes, I remember now. Sorry. Just
2: to see if she wasn't a slavering, typhoid Mary star. Yeah,
1: Yeah, I remember now. Yeah, terrible Terrible. idea. Yeah, Yeah. Terrible, terrible terrible idea.
2: Uh, 30 Days of Night. uh, Well, at least it has vampires in it. Again, could have been a really good
1: idea and didn't didn't kind of pay no, off
2: didn't really blood and chocolate is worth mentioning because twilight hasn't even come out of this stage this died so many deaths because you <laughs> didn't even get that twilight reflection rebound effect you think that all the box office on all of these things like uh, beautiful creatures is disappointing if only twilight had been accepted the same way that blood and chocolate was with people going this is just terrible <laughs> Like, there's no, why have you even got Well, we've
1: got time to hate on Twilight later yeah, on, but I mean, it basically, like is, it's is rubbish.
2: Terrible, but it is a precursor to Twiglet. Uh, I've never seen Death Proof because I've been warned off it.
1: Planet Terror
2: manages to survive out of Grindhouse uh, okay. But again, you know, it's kind of tarnished by the fact that it was supposed to be part of Grindhouse. And and that whole Grindhouse debacle still leaves a poor taste in the mouth because I probably would have gone to see it if it had been released unbutchered in the UK. But instead, they made them split into two movies and that kind of, you know... It It annoyed
1: you, yes, I know. It annoyed me
2: quite deeply as if I was some kind of moron like an American audience member.
1: Oh, bitchy, put the claws away. Put racist? Well, yes. Yeah. It, it, it got released. It's in... not racist. Katie Hopkins said it all the way got... through Big Brother and got yeah, away with it, it so got it's got not released... racist. It
2: got released in America as a, a, a mock double feature. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, we're no, 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 leaving no. halfway through. It, it's a matter of fact, not conjecture, that the American audience was too stupid to understand Grindhouse,
0: yes, and we, that's why the rest of us yeah, have to we, suffer. We have, a, we, have, we have a friend who I've met called Quaid James, and uh, you know he who made was, the machine. Who made the machine? He was a proper director these days and everything. And yes. Yeah. You of course did youth theatre, and during one of your youth theatre performances, he left at the, the interval. The woods. In was he left at the interval, thinking that was the end.
2: Yes. Yeah. So there we go so I mean the Grindhouse posters had this is a double feature on it but then oh it was too confusing there were like fake adverts and all sorts of stuff in it and possibly I would imagine the Death Proof came up first and I'm wondering if there wasn't a certain amount of people go oh yeah I totally didn't know there was another part to it oh god I'm so bored I need to go home so if they'd led with Planet Terror maybe it would have been a different story but hey it's in the past now Rob Zombie remake of Halloween not really even worth discussing It's to be
1: honest with you I like Rob Zombie and I like Rob Zombie when he does original ideas or things that come out of his... You have seen Lords of Salem, right? No, but I kind of like... I've got a soft spot for Rob Zombie and I kind of like the fact that he likes horror. Yeah. But yeah, it didn't. Yeah, sorry, yeah, Rob. Was, no, it put it serious. put it down. <laughs> uh
2: Hannibal Rising that came and went. Not even worth talking about that. Um, you know he you know he had an abusive childhood during the Russian Revolution. <laughs> he eats people. The end. Prequels? Mm, great. Drop didn't there. need well,
0: that one, did we? Really? No.
2: No. Uh Let's just talk a minute about the fact that every movie we've ever seen called
1: Premonition. <laughs>
2: and the one with Sandra Bullock is no exception. But even if it doesn't have Sandra Bullock in it and it's called Premonition, don't bother, because every single one of them is a stinker. Uh, You'd think, of course, that people making a film called Premonition might have some kind of inkling that the movie was going to be terrible, but apparently Premonition only works in the script. What
1: I remember about Premonition, the Sandra Bullock one, was going into that cinema, I think we'd gone just because we were trying to kill time or something something before something else, And we were like, this is not really aimed at us, but we'll go and see it anyway. And the people it was aimed at were sat there playing with their phones. No, that was the
2: Lake House, another terrible... Oh, God, I knew
1: it was one of Uh, them.
2: No, Premonition is the one with the glass door with the stickers on it because she has a premonition that a kid's going to run through it. and it so Oh, please,
1: God! It oh, God! It but oh, then, God! But then, uh, I mean, you know, whatever. Can, can we just please, no, yeah. no more films um, for premonition. I'm not
2: even going to talk about Skinwalkers. I've watched the first ten minutes of Vacancy and it bored the crap out of me, so I can't even talk about that. The Invasion deserves special hatred. Let's yes. just say we've got Invasion of the Body Snatchers, then we've got the 70s remake of Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which is in some ways better, in some ways a commentary, in some ways a sequel. It's these other things by itself. Then you've got in the 90s the Abel Ferrara remake of, the, of Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which is called Invasion of the Body Snatchers and is it's, it's fine. It's not, you know, it's kind of like that's, that was the lame duck. Then we get to this point where we have this Nicole Kidman Daniel Craig feature, which is actually a remake. It started life as another remake of Invader of the Body Snatchers, and somewhere along the line, as with the Fantastic Four, the production crew got embar- embarrassed. Oh no, we can't remake Invader of the Body Snatchers. Oh, because people won't like it these days. So, this is a terrific story, and oh, just try to make it so boring. And succeeding in every conceivable fashion. I mean, for God's sake, the only way that this movie would make sense, if it was a plot by aliens who could take over our body while we were asleep, because, you know, this is, is the, I mean, I keep coming back to it, but the invasion is the invasion of the body snatchers crossed with the mentalist. So there we go. Another yeah, one.
0: It's the fact that they're trying to like, they actually said, people told people don't tell people the twist. The twist is this is an invasion of the body snatchers. It's, 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 so what? Are they trying to trick people into seeing an invasion of the body snatchers? If you're going to make an invasion of the body snatchers, snatchers remake call it that and in addition that what is wrong with the
2: twist which every, i mean this is why people can't get bored of Invaders the body snatchers and indeed the thing it's like are they or aren't they are they just acting weird or are they an invader what is going on oh people never get bored of that trick it's like peekaboo for children so making that hidden part of the film and then burying it so deep it's not even part of the landscape
0: Really, uh... Let, let's let's break up the boil now, please, Leah. You've seen Number Twenty Three, I haven't, but you described to me the backstory of Number Twenty Three, which would have, would have to have happen before the start of the movie. Please explain the movie in those terms because it's hilarious.
2: To be fair, I watched it once and I can imagine I explained it. Number twenty-three, and I'm not this isn't even a spoiler because the spoiler is watching the movie from start to finish. This is where I'm like, finally, no more. The hero and the villain are the same frickin' person. I can't do it anymore. Thank God that this seems to have put a nail in that particular coffin. Or maybe I've just become really adept. I've got sense for that. Like, oh, they can't be. Like, this guy has to go and murder people and stuff and then get amnesia and then do all this stuff where he gets married because he's got amnesia and nobody knows that he's killed people or something. Oh, God. And then he's written a book while he was murdering people warning him about the fact that he murdered people. And just, what?! What is going on in this? Like, no, nobody knows or
0: remembers. Uh, I kiss. wanted, I wanted humour and light in the cellar, got more bile, more bitterness, oh, more, more no. venom deep from the pit because of the would You actually have to go
2: and watch the number 20. No, you were telling
0: yeah, it is about like he, like, he gets married, he kills people, he writes a book, he falls out of a window, gets amnesia, gets married, buys the book in the shop. That, yeah. Yes.
2: Yes. It's, it's, it is ridiculous. And of course, uh, the messengers uh, on the list. There's a couple with que- query points, which I'll just come back to. Uh, as in, are they really that bad? The messengers uh, is the the well, not the screen debut, but certainly uh, a, a larger role, a portion to one Kirsten Stewart. I'm sure she's going to do or go on to do great things yeah. later on. So let's just leave that there. And move away. In The Messengers, by the way, Kirsten Stewart plays a teenage girl who is somewhat grumpy to find her parents have moved her to a remote location where supernatural goings-on uh, lead to romance. No, they don't lead to romance in this case, but they may as well have, because it's that boring. So the ones that I would like to now just quickly run past, The Mist... Many people think The Mist is a good movie. I would disagree with them. Would you agree or disagree with people who think that The Mist is a good movie?
0: Is this the one with a really depressing ending? Yes. The ending alone makes me go, no, because that just feels like a dick move at the end.
2: Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, I think that people... The thing is, the camp of people who think that The Mist is a good movie are those people who would be... You know, it's the same thing as, like... um, Uh, You know, you watch The Wizard of Oz, you go all the way through, you get to the end and you go, oh, and you were there and you were there and then someone pulls out a gun and shoots Dorothy in the head. Yeah! (laughs) And you're like, it's so gritty and dark and depressing. What a work of genius. Forgetting the fact that that's just stupid. (laughs) Why the hell would someone just pull out a gun and shoot Dorothy in the head? Yes, but it's so depressing and therefore realistic and therefore gritty and therefore good. Let's move away from this. Grimdark is not necessarily good. And in this case, it kind of ruins it. I mean, the whole film is actually fairly tedious. Oh, well, guess what? It's a Stephen King adaptation. <laughs> uh, so that and 1408 can sit in the corner and think about what they've done. Uh, Sue, you went to
1: see The Mist with me. Do you agree with this point of view? It's, I just found it all very dull. I found it are. all very dull, and then the ending to me was like, okay, whatever.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think the other thing about it is that I didn't really care that much, and that's it. When you're trying to be grim dark, and at the same time, there's an audience. I mean, me. Going.
1: I mean, if it had been me personally, I would have killed you all anyway, just for the fun of it. Yeah, I just
2: think it was awful. So there we go. Yeah. Uh, we've got Saw Four on the list now.
1: Oh, oh Leo made me do the sword marathon. No.
0: With him, so. oh my God, how did you not I'm kill him?
1: S- I'm um, sword out for the time
2: being. Yeah, because it's because it was actually pretty clever. I didn't really see it, it tails off at the end. But Saw 4, I would say, is the last one where there was, properly at the end, this bit where in the the first four movies, at the end, it kind of goes, and you thought you were watching this, but you were actually watching this, and you thought this was happening then, but it's actually happening then, and this is what's actually happening. And you go, oh, I see that now. After Uh, 4, that goes downhill real quick. I
1: just like to point out that every time in the Saw movie, something was going off that was like supposed to be horrific I was sat there thinking this room is blue <laughs> yeah, no, no. I, don't,
2: I don't care so much about the, the horrific thing although I do think it's hilarious there's a horror franchise that has given people a, a morbid fear of civil engineers forevermore. Yeah. more um, but no it, that kind of thing is kind of part of the thriller no it, but I,
1: I felt like that because I just felt well go and watch The Cube people at least that's fun so well, I found a bit Alright,
2: fine. Well, I happen to like the Bastard. Theo likes the Saw, first, there you go. In the first four movies at least, and it gets a little bit strained after that, they completely subvert your experience of the film that you thought you were watching. In the last few minutes, consistently and quite cleverly, and four is the last one where they do that. And you actually get this bit where it's like, oh I see, so that was happening at the same time as that, and that was, ah right, okay. Yeah, that moment is always good fun, and I think it's fun in that one. After this it gets a bit silly, but, you know, it's cool. And also, Deep respect, I think, for managing to have, like, a main character villain who passes away midway through the franchise and then still manages to appear in all the other movies. Brilliant. I mean, properly passes away. He's not like Freddy Krueger. He doesn't, come, or Jason Voorhees. He doesn't come back from the dead. It's a thriller. It's not, you know, a horror movie of the supernatural kind. It's actually a thriller. And so he is really dead. But, you know, yeah, I, 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 I have more time. Saw these days, uh, but yes yeah, so i 'm on that side. Fence when it comes to saw, and I'm on the other with the mist. There are people who completely reverse that, and therefore they have to go into this disappointing bucket. But you know, I mean, uh, Bay formers, uh, disappointing superhero franchises, disappointing sci-fi, limp children's movies, a disappointing horror. For us wasn't all 2007 had to offer us? No, no, no. It also had a big crop of really rubbish action movies to give us as well, including Hitman, Live. Free or Die Hard, National Treasure Book of Secrets, Pathfinder, The Last Pirates of the Caribbean Movie, Shoot'em Up, Shooter, Smoking Aces, The Kingdom and War for your viewing. Viewing.
0: If only it had been the last Pirates movie, Leo.
2: Well, of course, there was the next Pirates movie, but nobody likes to talk about that. Really, at all. And now there's gonna be another one, apparently. We're, we're getting Hitman Agent 47 this year, and nobody asked for Hitman. And that has Timothy, you know, mean, I've already been through this, that had Timothy Oliphant in it. That is the only thing that raises this mediocre action snooze fest above you know it puts the needle slightly over the halfway mark only just a whisper and it shivers for a minute and it might have just been someone jogging the table to be honest but you know this is just and that hitman agent 47 doesn't even have that it's going to be much like the hitman's victims doa that's my prediction and you can take it to the bank but uh yeah, hitman, find that happened. Redheaded stepchild of the Die Hard franchise to date at this time in 2007, Live for or Die Hard, which they didn't believe that British people would accept that title for some reason. Maybe, I don't know. I think Americans are a lot more concerned about the fact they kicked the British people's asses in that war of independence they had than we actually, we don't really care I mean, I played Assassin's Creed 3. I happily stabbed British people in the head
0: all the yeah, live long day. That. In the, in the early days of the internet, I was talking to someone online about, and he was American. And he was like, Oh, I'm really burn that you lost that war of independence. Like, no, really, no. At some no, point, at some uh... point, we just draw a line out of these things and call it history. Yeah, exactly.
2: They possibly thought that having a sort of uh, independence
0: war Kind
2: of anthem, they decided to call it, it said the much capture die hard 4.0 over here. Oh, it's and so hilarious. Yeah, okay, whatever. I mean, it's an okay action movie, it is, uh, but it's not Die Hard. So I think that's where people fell down on it. But weirdly, in retrospect, um, the fact that they used all this stuff about information war as the basis for it has rescued it and given it a sort of second lease of life. I think the other thing that's given it a second lease of life is A Good Day to Die Hard, which is so terrible that it makes Die Hard 4.0 look like Shakespeare in comparison. Book of Secrets, I didn't mind. I mean, National Treasure was good enough that it didn't
0: come. uh, I I do have a query about this, though. Now, the whole thing about this is Nicholas Cage's like ancestor has been rubbished as as a traitor. Now, of course, this is the you know National Treasure series where patriotism is a superpower. So this is a very important plot point. And, of course, at the end of it, they don't clear his ancestor's name from all the things that were going on. They just kind of find the gold and there we go. So that was never resolved. That always seemed very curious to me. Also, all all American presidents are awesome.
2: I mean, I I think National Treasure kind of happened. And unlike Pirates of the Caribbean, it kind of exists. The first movie is good. The second movie is not quite so good, but it's okay. The only thing it doesn't have is a third movie, which yeah. is terrible. And thank the Lord for that, eh? Um, I mean, because Nicolas Cage would have done it because he had, you know, bills to pay and stuff. So it's just well, happy that... Uh, no, uh, no, we've really done American history. There's only 200 years yes. of it.
0: So. Well, this, at, at the time, this was a thing, because I believe, start, correct oh. me if I'm wrong, this was the first sequel that Nicolas Cage ever did.
2: Was it? it was well, was- there we go. Pathfinder, that was terrible. And and the point is here, the point is here, right, we have a film whose setup is Vikings versus Vikings with big axes in huge long boats and with their big trumpet and they've got armour and shields and uh, they're really like technologically advanced in terms of weaponry compared to the Indians who are the jungle and they can like sneak among the trees and it's like, you know, the, the, they've got no armour but they're, they're fast and they're light and they know the ground and what an epic confrontation it would have been if that was anything to do with what was in the movie whatsoever. And in fact, it's just, you know, an hour and a half of some people shouting at each other and then they go walk around on a mountain a bit and then it kind of ends. I mean, you know, crushing disappointment does not even begin. It has Carl Urban in the main role. And that's like, wow, Carl Urban's in it. It can't be all bad. No, it can be all bad. It can. It really can. Ah. Oh. Just so many wasted opportunities. I mean, that's the worst thing about this movie, is that it would have been a really different action movie to have a historical ap- epic in which Incas fight Vikings in some crazy action movie, brave heart Western, uh, historical epic action craziness. But they didn't do that at all. They just promised to do it and then didn't. Uh, not even going to talk about pirates. Uh, shoot them up.
0: I saw this on a plane! Yay! <laughs> uh, How was yeah. that? Uh, it, well, it killed a set amount of time, so I was probably grateful for it at the time. Although it is completely forgettable. I just remember eating lots of carrots and, uh, and, holding, yes. and, and holding a baby.
2: I think that the carrots thing is like a Bugs Bunny or, or you know, Warner
0: Brothers record. Oh, like, of course, you realise this means war.
2: Yeah, exactly. So, uh, Yeah fine shooter which is like the board identity crossed with um what am i looking for oh yeah the mentalist another film i could quite happily snooze all the way through in which it said hey man you know like the guy's a sniper and then he gets set up and he has to use all his endurance survivalist sniper skills to or he just wanders around whiffling on about not much and then there's not much action, and then it kind of limps over the finish line, having not had much happen during the whole movie. The only thing I remember about Smoking Aces was that the hilarious scene, the the prepubescent super macho kid who uh, swears at everyone, and that was kind of funny. The rest of it was just stuff happening with no real agenda. The Kingdom is another film in which they fail to make any sense out of uh, action movie set in the Middle East. Uh, it's kind of an inaction movie set in the Middle East. And War was the movie that finally brought us to this point where we say, look, you can have Jason Statham and you can put him in a movie and it'll probably be okay. You can have Jet Lee and you can put him in a movie and it stands a fair chance... Of being okay. You put them both in the same movie at the same time. And if you're really lucky, you get the Expendables too. That's if you're really lucky. Otherwise, you get the Expendables or the one or this. It's not a good thing. It's like fish fingers and custard. You don't put them together. Well, I love
0: I do point out Expendables 2, Jet Li bails fairly early on the film. I think that's probably but the But they
2: appear, they appear in the same movie. So yes. that's... Anyway, he probably was like, you didn't tell me he was going to be here. Have you seen our past CV together? This is not going to happen. And he left. I mean, that's the point. That's why the Expendables 2 managed to raise its head slightly above the parapet. Because Jet Li did the decent thing and left. Well, that's, yeah, that's, that's I was saying. Yeah. It, yeah, I mean, there we go. Cool, right, we've resolved that. So we've only got one last thing to do, and I'm trying to now bring us up a little bit. Well, yes, bit
0: I, I feel so end. beaten down by you going, oh, there is a terrible film. That was that film mixed with The Mentalist. I feel, I feel just exhausted and tired and deflated. So please, yeah. can we end on a big gush of excitement and joy with these last set well, of films? It- it turns out that the magic ingredient
2: in 2007, the thing that really rescued it from all of the disappointment, pain and horror that this movie has brought onto us is fairy tales. Because this year brought us not just Stardust, which has slowly over time grown into a fitting companion piece to the Princess Bride. And at the time, people were very worried that it wouldn't, that it wasn't the same thing. But now we've got a little bit of distance behind us. It is Princess Bride, Stardust. Stardust now, you they post something up and they go, oh, yeah, I remember that movie. That's brilliant, that movie is. I love that so much. In the same way that they gush back Princess Bride. So, Awesome. Also rescuing Neil Gaiman from Beowulf at the same time, you know, because he needed it after Beowulf. But also this year brought us Enchanted, which... Is a marvelous, fantastic dual kind of parody, but at the same time affectionate embracing of uh, Disney fairy tale movies, and has much to recommend it as sort of a classic animation style. And people love Enchanted, and an it's the whole thing attack.
1: about she starts bursting into song, and he's rolling his eyes like, yes. "What the hell's going on?" Here? Exactly, <laughs>
2: exactly. And then getting uh, uh, sewer rats in New York <laughs> to come and <laughs> help you do the housework but, oh, it, c- cutting
1: up the curtains. Oh, and yeah absolutely brilliant.
2: fantastic from wall to wall uh, the rye look at fairy tales i, I don't know if it started i think some people are starting to feel that this whole rye look at fairy tales thing is starting to get a bit old but i couldn't love it more and therefore this is like a a, a big ice cream sunday of narrative joy To me. Have you seen either of these films or both of
0: them, Ian? I haven't seen Enchanted, but I was on a plane... (laughs) <laughs> and so I Stardust, and that was the highlight of my flight, can I say. I actually sought out on YouTube to listen to the Take That soundtrack. It was like, oh, that was so memorable. What a jolly little tune that was. And I bought it for my stepmom for Christmas. And they were like, well, you got me this for Christmas? No, trust me, you'll love it. And they did. It's, uh, it's a, a really enjoyable, fun piece of escapism movies. Like Peter O'Toole named all his sons Primus, Secondus, Tertius, Quintus, Oh, Neil Gaiman, I like the way your mind works, sir. Well done, well done there. Uh, it is a bit, I mean, the criticism that have been leveled at the film is that it is a bit kind of, what's the message here? Isn't love nice? Well, there we go. But, you know, it's just pure escapism and joy and sky pirates again. Yay! Although, we always knew he was a whoopsie. <laughs> yes, that's it. Robert De Niro's portrayal as, as a gay captain, uh, electricity-harvesting uh, space pirate. Was it a sensitive portrayal of homosexuality? Discuss.
2: <laughs> I don't know, but it was funny, so that's fine. No, I think that that's the point about it is, and the reason it doesn't raise ire is because he's a guide doing his job... Who happens to enjoy dressing in, in women's clothing. And you don't, they don't actually say he's gay. I mean, the point is these are people in a fancy kingdom. We know he's a transvestite. What else is going on? We just don't no, know. Actually, I think he's, gay. Gay. Good. he's definitely gay. No, I
1: think okay. it's a good thing because I think his crew, when they say, oh, well, we always knew it was kind of like, it's that thing of, accepting it more than yeah everybody yeah.
2: accepts
1: everybody it. just and accepts it, it and actually it. enjoys it yeah. and it doesn't change the fact that actually he's a, he's good at his job and good what yeah, he does so, there we go. so actually I think it's a good portrayal and I think it's also very funny and very sweetly done there you go yeah Um, As somebody who's all for gay rights and trans rights and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, I I actually don't mind that. Because he's such a masculine character and yet here he is going, Oh, these are my dresses, aren't they fabulous? You kind of go Let me do your hair. Yeah, you can do you can you can be that way. You can be a male who still enjoying the things that are female and that is cool and the fact that he's very accepted by everybody in the film by it yeah great
2: and i think there is also a level to which if people are saying well what's the message isn't love nice it's like yeah but you missed the bit where the guy's mooning after some woman and then you know there's the very important bit where the star says to him well okay so you love you're proving you love her by doing all this what's she doing to prove she loves you and he's like uh, oh yeah okay good point like that you know at that moment where it's like, yeah love goes two ways you don't just moon around after someone and that means that you're in love it, it's like she obviously doesn't care about you so and i think um,
1: there's a big thing to say about um the fact that the witches and the aging thing as well yeah, again yes because it's like today in this modern day where we're botoxing people and we're doing all sorts of stuff to have these you know this woman who's like stunningly beautiful, and yet knows she's ageing and will do anything to stop it, including rip the heart out of the star. I think that's quite a nod to how far we've gone, if you know what I mean. Michelle Feiffer like, has, been,
0: has been out, out of uh, acting for a little while, and I think uh, the way they attracted her to the film, uh, you know, initially she was like, oh, beautiful witch, I'm not so sure about this. No, 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 you don't understand. We're going to make you hideously ugly and old. Oh, well, do yeah. it. That's how the conversation went, apparently. Yeah,
2: yeah. Good. So I mean, I think that I think that one of the things that comes up here, if you look at like currently, obviously, there's the television series Once Upon a Time and stuff like that. One of the things that Stardust brings to the party, uh, which is at the moment, you know, people are just going well, uh, Once Upon a Time is, of course, made by ABC, which is made by Disney, which means they have access to all of Disney's stuff. And one of the things that I kind of notice is that. Stardust brings to the table some inventiveness – and that is sorely in need because once upon a time it's just like and now we've got Peter Pan and now we've got the Wizard of Oz and now we've got, it's like yeah but where are all the new characters we don't have new characters we just have old characters every old character <laughs> that you could possibly think of and you know Frozen is two years old so now we're going to have those characters too it's just like oh okay brilliant thanks for all your originality not uh, so
0: at least Stardust does some new a few new things new
1: yeah I like the lightning Pirates and i like, yeah, I like all of that. That's all. And and it
0: has has a proper sense of epicness about it, and a cross generational story as well. So it's it's suitably epic too.
1: I mean, I love the old guy at the wall who will beat you up if you try and cross the yes, wall. Yes, that was very good. That was very
0: good. <laughs> you know,
1: moment. it's that kind of thing. I love that. I plus, think it's brilliant. Plus, colour me
2: amazed to find out that the uh, lead man—I didn't know this. I didn't work this out until afterwards because of the difference in haircuts. But of course, uh, the lead actor is now Daredevil. So you know, hey, it's all good in the hood. Enchanted, you should really seek out. Ian. if you if you loved Stardust, then you'll also love Enchanted. Which Enchanted
1: is more, you know. The, you know, proper Disney, Disney, oh, there's a princess and this, that and the other. But it's so much taking the the mick of itself. It's actually really funny. Yes, because... Yeah, having a chipmunk who comes through from a cartoon realm who can speak and then comes into the real world and he's just... Now he's a chipmunk. Now he's a chipmunk. So he can't really do anything and he's trying to help them and he's, like, trying to talk to them and people just go, oh, there's a rat, you know, and that kind of... It's like the real funniness of it all is quite is worth watching well it's the
2: the idea that you take these people out of a traditional quote unquote put them in the middle of new uh, york and then put them in the middle of modern day new york and and you know super props to james james marsden uh who is the the very model of a completely dunderheaded prince charming yeah and the, the, the the marvelous part where um Again, they ask this question about, you know, what is love? You know, in the cartoon universe, all they need is true love's kiss. And then they're going to go off and get married and that'll be it. And they'll never talk about it again. It's all very convenient. And in the New York thing, of course, there's this classic like... Um,
1: there's well, a cynical kind of love. And there's always kind of- more... Are you crazy? You
2: can't just see someone and go off, you know, together. Mm. And in fact, this guy works as a divorce lawyer and they're incredibly upset because the divorce that's going through, she comes in with all her magic and sparkles and can't you see why you love each other? And the two divorced people decide to reconcile. And they're like, you can't do that. (laughs) That's not responsible. (laughs) What happens if they're unhappy again? It's like, well, why would they be? She says innocently. And it's like "Yeah, this idea of the difference between what People believe in these kind of uh, fairy tales of the Disney fashion. As a
1: girl who grew up being told you're fine as long as you get married. You know, that's what Disney yeah. basically does. It's like, yeah, find your prince, get married, and everything will be happily ever after. It's a good take on actually the... You know, Happily Ever After isn't running off into the woods going, oh, yes, everything's marvellous and singing. That's not what reality is. So, yeah. So, yeah.
2: So, Enchanted also wins a special gold star for being an amazing movie that came out in this year. And it's weird that they both came out in the same year. And it's also weird that they managed to pull the happy ending <laughs> out of the turgid, depressing gutter of all the other movies that came out in 2007. Now, I'm not here to say that it's the fact that Bay Formers made its debut in 2007 <laughs> that dragged down the cinematic quality of just about every other release that came out in that year. But if you want to be the person who says that, where might be a forum where that might not be met with uh, abject horror and uh, refutation, Ian? Where, where might they go to, to Well, to One
0: place you can go to engage in our group, think about how bad Michael Bay is, would be our Facebook page, which you can find on Facebook forward slash revenge of the 80s kids and that's 80s as in numbers 80s please go there and like our page it is our community hub we put links to a podcast there as well as links to sites saying how bad michael bay is but uh, podcasts are what it's all about so for those who want to point your web browser towards 80s kids and that's 80s as in letters so e-i-g-h-t-i-e-s com. please go there and, and subscribe to our podcast using the podcast aggregator of your choice or download your PC for dark reasons of your own. Uh, but this is only where our most recent podcasts can be found. For the legacy of our podcasts, you must point your browser towards the80skids.blogspot.com. And there you will find a full archive of all our shows, or at least you will do one day, uh, which you can enjoy until the end of time. But if this is not enough for you, you can hunt down individual 80s kids. This is not a hint for you, by the way, Michael Bay. Individual 80s kids in such places as... Uh, well,
2: leo.stableford.blogspot.com is where you can find my blog, and it, it's got links to videos and articles and all that kind of stuff, and a few of those in between uh, non-archived shows are also collected there. If you're looking for something between roundabout 46 and roundabout 90, that's where you'll find it currently but it will you know the progress is is continuing on the archive uh, if you'd like to look at some pictures then there's com if you're really that bothered about that kind of thing uh sue is is not available in any other form michael
1: bay come try and find me if you want Good luck uh, with that.
2: (laughs) Yeah, so let's just hope that Baybots now don't invade and kill us all. But, you know, it might happen. Uh, But on which very topic, (laughs) we've been through all that 2007 had to offer. And uh, save getting a star to help us or sing a few songs to get sewer rats to come and help us out of this. I (laughs) uh, I really have no idea what Justin's curious message uh, was supposed to convey any ideas in your quarters ian
0: no whatsoever on my part I- i'm just sitting here uh, bamboozled i'm just trying to i'm trying to fathom 2007 and looking in the trends in the previous years what could have caused this jenga of turds
2: in the previous decades that we've had we have noted that there is a year in both the 80s and 90s in which the previous decade finally comes grinding to a halt and there really is no more left now 2000 I think that, that kind of happened round about 2005 where, where I remember all of the new metal stuff and that's all very 90s and you have all this constant parade of uh, things where suddenly the latest new metal band would be playing a song and that would be all part of what was happening but I seriously have a think that between that time round about 2005 and 2008 we had a little three year sort of interranium where they didn't really know what to sell people so they're trying to sell people you know sequels to pirates and sequels to things you know the usual things sequels to things that have been successful before but with increased studio interference Um, and they're also trying to sell people on more adaptations they're also trying to, to cash in on Harry Potter they're also doing this and that and the other. And they're not really hit on anything that is the thing that is going to define films and cinema going forward in 2007 and that so is So do why... you think
1: this is what Justin was trying to say?
2: Well, he might be trying to say that about cinema. What that's got to do with him stealing the shuttle and making off with other Justin and no. leaving us a weird note. I'm sorry.
0: I... I refuse to end this on a note of negativity. i to be positive and happy and see a bright, broad future in front of us. Oh, wait a second. Oh, we're floating around in space with no hope of rescue, aren't we? Oh. Yes.
2: I think the best thing that we could do is maybe sleep on it have a little snooze and we'll, we'll come back to it when we eat all the dry rations and, 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 and drink some non-recycled water later. Well,
0: I'd like to say hope to see you next week. We've only got three days of air left. So, uh, chances are slim. So if the next week's podcast is ominously silent except for the sound of buzzing flies, you know what's happened.
1: Hey, I'll be fine. I'm artificial. Well, yes, come back
0: next week point. for the Sioux show. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but until then, uh, I hope we don't die. Goodbye. Farewell.
1: Bye. that emergency executable that someone left in a folder for the distress beacon activation. I should really run that. After all it's not as if anything worse can happen, is it? Or oh, is password protected? What could the password be? The wait I know two zero zero seven. That's it. Now run the program.